We're going to continue on on our series here in 2 Timothy, the Fan into Flame uh, uh, series. It's the, the title's based on 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, which says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not uh, make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And we've been talking about the power, and we've been talking about the love, and we talk, t- t- today is supposed to talk about the self-discipline, and as I was thinking through that whole self-discipline thing, God kind of took things in a, a unique direction, because I had to you know, ask myself, what are the things I need in order to be self-disciplined? I mean, obviously I need the Spirit of God, but the first word of self-discipline is self so there's things that I need to be involved in in, in doing this. And self-discipline, I found, is, is hard. <laughs> That's why, you know, there, there's so few greats in the world. And what I mean by that, it's kind of like, you know, like, like musicians. I believe there's a lot of people that are talented and can play. I can play the guitar. But I'm not a great musician. Not because I don't necessarily have, I just don't have the self-discipline it takes to practice hours and hours every day to get that. I believe I could be a great musician if I put in that time and that effort and that energy into focusing in on that, but I, I, I don't do that, so I just play the guitar and that's what I do. And it's the same way with a lot of us. I believe so many of you got talents, we've got abilities, and we could become great at something if we had the self-discipline and deemed it important enough to focus on those things. I, I remember back when Phyllis and I used to lead a ministry that was all just performers and musicians and students from the Berkeley College of Music, and there was a young man named Quentin who actually left the church because he said he had a professor at school tell him, if you want to be a great jazz guitarist, you're going to have to practice at least eight hours every day. And his heart was, I want to be a great jazz guitarist. So I have to clear everything else out of my life. He made that. He was self-disciplined. I haven't, uh, I haven't seen an album out or anything, but he made that decision. And, but he saw it. That was a compelling reason for him. And that's one thing you need for that self-discipline. A compelling reason why I decide to take and focus my energy on this one, one thing, this, this disciplined thing. And, and that brings us to really the next lesson I think Paul's trying to get at in, in our, in our, in our, in our uh, text. And it's in the bulletin. You see the cover of the bulletin that talked about, you know, yes, no, maybe. And it talks about being convinced. And that comes from verse 12 of that same chapter, just a couple of verses after what Paul said there to Timothy. When he says, this is why I'm suffering. And he's talking about the gospel, being a disciple, being a Christian. He's suffering for it. He says, this is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. Now, he says, I believe. I know whom that I believed in. That word believe, that means to think to be true, to be persuaded of. It's the same word that's often translated faith in your Bibles. Yet here they translated it, Believed. And then he says, I am convinced. And that word basically means that something, it's basically the, to induce one by words to believe. 
okay, or to have faith. And of course, Romans 10, 17 says faith comes from hearing the words of God. He says, I'm convinced. And he calls and, and everything to be convinced. But you understand, thinking about being convinced is you've got to allow yourself to be convinced. It's, it's a, someone else is convincing you, but you've got to allow it to happen. You can say, uh-uh, I ain't changing my mind for nothing or nobody, which is really kind of a stupid stance, right? In anything. It's like, you can prove me wrong beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I ain't changing nothing. You know, I, you can become stubborn. Like, well, but Paul says, no, I've been convinced. And being convinced is a powerful, powerful motivator. Paul was convinced that the faithfulness of the Lord was able to guard and protect what God had promised him, no matter what was happening in his life. Being convinced of things can keep you out of trouble. Like, I'm convinced in the basic facts and truth of the law of gravity. Okay, I'm pretty convinced of that. That's why I don't like high places. You know, when you walk out and you, you never notice, like, you get close to the edge and you just get, you start getting scared before you ever get there. Now, you're still on the solid ground, but you're just, no, I'm convinced. If I fall, I'm done for. So you start getting nervous before you even get up to the edge. Snakes, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Bible says snakes equals Satan, so that's it. I mean, it's in the book somewhere. But I just, they began to say, no, this is a good snake. I said, there's no such thing, no. And I just stay far away from all of them. Uh, being convinced of something can, can help us out. Being convinced of something's positive can help us out. Now, those are negatives. You know, gravity's going to kill you or snake. But positive, when I know something is right, you go after it. Right? Peer pressure won't turn you around. Doubts will not overcome you. Setbacks and, de- and, 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 and discouragement will not deter you. Because I know. I'm convinced. It keeps you focused. Keeps you on track. Until, of course, it doesn't. <laughs> right? Until it doesn't. Have you ever let peer pressure turn you? <laughs> Have you ever let doubts creep in and change your thinking and your actions, even for a little while? Have you ever let setbacks, maybe financial or career or educational or uh, discouragements, maybe it could come from illness or, 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 or something like that or a loss. Have you ever let any of those things cause you to stumble? Me too. It's part of the human condition. And to kind of illustrate this, I, I heard this amazing story on a podcast recently. Um, and and it's, it's about uh, Wilt Chamberlain. Now, on March the 2nd, 1962, and, I, and I'm not going to say I remember it well because I was pushing like three months uh, old when this happened. <laughs> but he played the perfect basketball game. They call it the perfect game. Anyway, it's maybe the greatest game. You can see he has 100. He scored by himself 100 points in this game that night. 100 points by himself. And he shot a career high 61% of his free throws he made that night. 
And it was incredible. But the thing about it is he was not known as a free throw. He was kind of like, like uh, 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 what's that, Shaquille O'Neal, great player, lousy free throw shooter. Right? Well, that's what Wilt, he was kind of known as the same thing, except in that game he shot 61%. He shot every one of them, though, granny style. Every one of his shots he shot granny style. And he had a career high, he hit 61% of them that night. And he had this record-setting evening. Now later he reverted back to shooting free throws the old-fashioned way, you know, his way. His percentage went way down. And they said, what are you doing? Why did you do that? And he says, quote, I felt like a sissy. Shooting them granny style. Now I want us to think about this. He felt like a sissy, so he went back and did something that he knew was less effective and less important to his team. I mean, think about basketball games. Unless you're with the, you know, the U.S. team that you win games by 20, 30, 40 points, most games are decided by two or three points. So if you miss seven or more of your free throws and you leave 10 or 15 points unscored, you actually cause your team to lose because you aren't shooting the way you know you can make these points. And that's what he would do because he said, I, I just felt like a sissy. Now, the other side, there's this guy, Rick Barry. He's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. He is the NBA's leader in free throw percentage. 89.3 times out of the... Nine out of ten times he shoots a free throw, he makes it. Nine out of ten. And every time he shoots, granny style. Granny style. All right? And, and, and he makes it. And he, 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 nobody else would do it. And they would go, he makes it. He, he convinced his son who was playing in, 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 in college ball to shoot granny style. And because he would make them, his percentage went way up. And he heard somebody off to the side making fun of him. And he was doing this. And then he heard somebody else sitting next to him say, Shut up, man. He's making them. <laughs> now, this, this Chamberlain-Berry dichotomy leads us to talk about something called the threshold model of collective behavior. Sounds very, you know, Philip. Yeah. <laughs> All right, there, there's a lot better term for it. It's called peer pressure. But what do I mean by this? What do I mean by threshold? The thing is, is being convinced or belief is a mental thing. What I think, what I believe. But your threshold level, that's an external thing. It's what we call peer pressure. Your threshold is the number of other people who need to do something before you'll join in. All right? And there's... High thresholds and low thresholds, right? Sometimes your beliefs and thresholds overlap. Sometimes they don't. Like, for instance, a mob mentality. You see a group of people who together get all whipped up into doing something that by themselves they would never do. But they get this mob mentality. Or for us, maybe you're at a party. And everyone, at least in your perception is either drinking or getting high or, or partying down doing whatever, and you join in not because you think this is good and the right thing to do, it's because your behavior is being guided by your threshold. Everyone else is doing it, and that, therefore that's what I do. 
So in the simplest sense, a high threshold personality like, like Wilt Chamberlain here is more likely to allow the crowd to dictate their behavior. Low threshold personality like Barry pursues either the preferred, the most effective, or the right path regardless of the social cost. Now, there's a little lesson there, but that directly affects you and I. Let's bring it down to us and our own self-discipline. How do I stand up to this peer pressure? My self-discipline and being convinced, how does all this happen? Am I a high threshold or a low threshold type of person? Now, let's not get crazy with it. It doesn't really matter. It's not out of your control. If you're a high threshold kind of person, it doesn't mean you're just hopelessly you know, tossed about at the whims of the crowd that you happen to be with. You can overcome it. You may have to work harder, but you can overcome it. It's kind of like temptations. You know, like certain temptations, you know what they are for you. You have no problem overcoming those temptations. They're no big deal. Somebody else has a huge struggle, but for you, it's no big deal. Okay? Another one, though, you're really attracted to this sin. That one's really hard. So we don't get to say, that's just the way I am, God. Hey, I'm a slave to my own desires. I can't control it. No, we realize I still have to control it. I just may have to work harder. Same thing with my high threshold, low threshold. You know, if I, I, I may have to work harder uh, to deal with this. And being convinced of the truth is not necessarily the only thing because I can be convinced something is right, but then I lose my self-discipline because of all the crowd around me. And they're pulling me in the wrong direction. So what can I do? I've got a couple of keys here to dealing with my high threshold personality, to dealing with my lack of self-discipline, even though I may be convinced of what the truth is. Number one, to be convinced, run with the right crowd. Okay? Run with the right crowd. Use your threshold to your advantage. Right? If, if a crowd can affect or dictate your behavior, hang out with the right crowd. Doesn't that make sense? In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, and this is not on the screen, because uh, I just did that in this morning as I was going over this. And I thought about this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, uh, verse 23, it begins. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And this reminds me back to that passage of, I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced he will guard what I've entrusted to him. That verse we read at the beginning in 2 Timothy 1.12. He says, I, he's faithful. So hold unswervingly to it. But not just that. He said, let's consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. And then he goes on, he says, not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing. But encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. He said, hey, guys, hang out with the right crowd. Hang out with the people who have the same convictions you do. And this is why, as, as a church, we have so many different things. That's why we have house churches. And we put them in the middle of the week. Okay? Why? So I can go hang out with a crowd that has the convictions I do. Now, you may be saying, well, yeah, but, you know, sometimes my house church is just, you know, the lessons aren't that great, or it doesn't meet my needs or whatever. It doesn't matter. Hang out with that crowd. Get with that crowd. And let that crowd affect you. Different events that we have. You say, well, I don't go. All it is is a potluck, or all it is is a Fourth of July party, or all it is is a chili cook-off, or all it is, you know, it's not that big a deal. 
No, it's the crowd hanging out together. Crowd with the same convictions. You say, well, yeah, but I, I don't even like chili. Hang with the crowd. Trust me, there's enough variety. There's some there that you might like. Because there's some there that ain't chili. I'm talking, okay, never mind. We <laughs> talk about discipleship times and stuff. That's, again, it's gathering that crowd. That's why we talk so much about get your kids to summer camp. Go to these things. Help figure it out. Why? Because it helps get my kids around the right crowd. And building those relationships so they can encourage and spur one another on. And those things build and grow over time. That's why we do things like the, the Reach Conference. And that was a huge crowd to get around. And yes, I can go, well, you know, I can get every one of the lessons online. A whole lot cheaper. But you can't get the crowd online. There ain't nothing like being in that crowd. Campus events, teen events, singles events, all of these things. You know, Jimmy asked me this morning, did you get any information now that school's about to start? We normally know we get a lot of information about teens events coming up, you know, for the Midwest. And actually, I hadn't gotten any yet. But it's coming. We know it is because every year it comes. Why do we do it all the time and every year? Because it gets us around the crowd. Don't give up meeting together. The campus things coming up, the different campus events. The thing. Be there. Use your high threshold personality to your own advantage. By hanging out with the right crowd. And by staying away from the wrong crowd. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, hey, bad company. Corruption. It messes you up. That's the very modern translation of it. Yeah. Sometimes it's like old friends. You say, well, they were my friends. Yeah, but you know what? You mess up when you hang out with them. You've proven to yourself. I've proven to myself. There are certain situations I cannot hang out and, 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 and stay strong if I, do, if I do it regularly. I've just proven it to myself. I might be able to do it for one time. And I don't even realize how it's breaking me down a little bit. Because I... I stayed righteous. But the next time, I don't realize I've been broken down a little bit. Until finally, it's just a matter of time to where that threshold, this is where the crowd goes. When you start making decisions like, well, I'll go, but I won't drink. Or I'll go, but I won't do this. Or I'll go and I won't hook up with this or do that or whatever. Whatever it happens to be. You've already made a bad decision. You've already made a bad decision. Because you've realized You've identified the crowd is going to lead me to a bad place. I'm just deciding not to go that direction. Instead of saying, therefore, I ain't getting with that crowd. That needs to be the decision. Not, I'm going to hang out with that crowd and try to go against the crowd. But, I'm just not going to go with that crowd. And yeah, sometimes it means we've got to sacrifice relationships. But that's what it gets me. I've got to be convinced. This is what I want. I'm willing to make that sacrifice. I'm willing to do that. I have to do that. Because I, you know what? That's just who I am. Very, very few of us are that low threshold personality person. And what was interesting about that Rick Berry guy, 
the basketball player. I heard an interview with him. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to hang out with him. And he was kind of obnoxious because he would tell everybody else was stupid to him. You're all stupid. What about the idiots? He was critical of everybody because he had this, he didn't care what anybody thought. You know, and I thank God that many of us are, not many of us are low personality. I, I thank God because it, they're hard to get along with. They're such perfectionists and they don't understand why you're not as perfect as they are. But that high, that high threshold, there's danger, so you've got to watch out for it. I'm saying, how do you do that? Hang out with the right crowd. Let them influence you in a right and godly way. And identify that wrong crowd and say, you know what? I'm just not going to do that. I can't hang out with that crowd. And then number two, be convinced that what you've learned, you've learned from the Lord. Okay? Be convinced... First of all, I'm going to hang out with the right crowd, and I'm going to be convinced that what I've learned, I've learned from the Lord. Now, Paul stresses this to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He, he hits it several different times. One of the, the ones I like the most is in chapter 3, verse 14, where he says, But as for you, Tim, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what we're looking for here, by the way, right? I want to be wise for salvation. I don't want to be wise for Bible knowledge, necessarily, just for the sake of knowledge. I want to be wise for salvation. And he says, hey... You became convinced of this because you know those of you heard it and how from infancy, baby, you have, you've known the Holy Scriptures. You've been studying the Scriptures. And that seems obvious, right? Make sure you're convinced by the Scriptures. That seems obvious, but it's not. Let me share with you what I mean by that. Some have a faith that's less of faith and more a culture of this is just what I do. This is what I've always done. It becomes a habit. And even sometimes, and I notice, I, I wrestle with this in my life, it started real and genuine, but over time, it settled into culture and habit and familiarity. You know, I think about those guys in, in Leviticus, you know, that Larry's been talking about, and all of these things, and they were focused and focused, I've got to focus on this, but after a time, it just became mundane. And it just became, this is what we do. Oh, I'm going to kill another cow. Okay, I worked it into my budget. It's not even that big of a deal, Mike. It doesn't even hit my wallet anymore. I've worked it into my budget. It's not a big deal anymore. It's just what I do. And then later you find out, and by 2 Kings, they got the temple, they got the priests, they got the sacrifice. They don't even have a Bible. They lost the Bible. Somebody found it and said, hey, look at this. They had the whole system down, but it was just their culture. It was just a habit. And guys, we, we, we can't be critical of those guys because it can happen to us. It does happen to us. Particularly if you were raised up in the church and say, well, I wasn't raised, but you've been around 30 or plus years, then you're in that category, okay? And, and, and you know, I've just been doing this so long. I don't even have to think about it anymore. And that's where that danger comes in. And you realize, I'm not convinced because of the scriptures. I'm just convinced because this is what I do. 
And parents, we got to be careful about this. And we misjudge our children because we think, well, they're being raised in the faith. And the truth is, sometimes they're just getting raised in this culture. And I know every one of our kids, they all got baptized really young, you know, 12 or 13. And they all had what I call a crisis of faith somewhere around late high school, early college years. And what I mean by that is, is they had to realize, is this really what I believe? Or is this just the way I was raised? And praise God, you know, they came through that, but, you know, you had to have that. And I think we all need a crisis of faith every now and then in our lives. We all need to stop and think, is this really what I'm convinced of, or is this just what I do? Is this just what I'm in the habit on Sunday mornings and occasionally on Wednesday nights? And being raised in the church is not a bad thing. It's, a, it's better. Actually, it's biblical. It's right. You know, sometimes we get weirded out. Ah, I got raised, therefore I reject it, which is stupid, you know? It's like, sometimes we reject. Whatever our parents believe, I reject. That's just dumb. Okay, your parents aren't perfect. We're not right about everything. That's a secret. But it's true. On the other hand, your parents have figured a lot of stuff out through a lot of trial and a lot of error. So it's smart to listen to them, but you know, you gotta though, you gotta develop your own faith. So being raised in the church, man, that's not a bad thing. That can actually get you a long way ahead. And you can avoid some of the things that Mike was confessing up here that he got involved in before he learned about the Lord. You said, and, and, and instead, though, you know, you come into church and kids, kids, you know, we can just become lazy. We become lazy in our faith, we become lazy in what we're convinced of, and laziness will not stand up to the test of the peer pressure, of the high threshold. I think about Acts 17, right? Acts 17, verse 11. It's a passage many of us are convinced, uh, uh, convinced, familiar with. It talks about the Berean Jews were a more noble character than those that were in Thessalonica, because they received the message with great eagerness, but they examined the scriptures every day, to see if what Paul said was actually true. And that's great. This is a cool story. You know, Acts is just cruising down the line, talking about the missionary journeys. Went to Thessalonica. Everything was cool there. Everything went great. They moved on from Thessalonica. They go on to this city in Berea. And then they say, these guys were actually better than the Thessalonians. They were better. They said more noble. Which is an interesting term. It meant more noble-minded. Maybe more educated. Deeper thinkers. They accepted the message, but they checked it out for themselves. And he said, you know what? That was what set them apart. They didn't just say, okay, I guess Paul said it's true. It must be true. He's a great preacher. No, they said, let me check it out and see if what you're saying is actually true. And then they became convinced. Not because of what Paul said, but because they checked it out for the scriptures. See, this is how I was raised, you know, it's like, I was raised, I've shared this before, I started going to church, you know, before I could walk. And I don't want to disrespect my family, uh, or, or anything, or, or my family's faith. I accepted everything just because that's what it was. That's what we did. And my mother, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and my great-great-grandparents, what we are, what we do. And I just accepted it. At 18 years old, I went into seminary, and we began to re-examine everything. 
everything. And what helped me the most was it taught me how to really look and study the Bible. Not just this is what we believe, but how to look at it yourself. And Phyllis and I later, a few years later, came to the conviction we need to leave this family of churches our families were in. Okay? And again, I didn't want to disrespect them, but we said, we got to pull out of here. And we transferred our family and our three children 1,500 miles away for the sole purpose of being a part of a church that could help us grow spiritually. I was not a minister there. Got a job as a carpenter. Didn't even know. Somebody else picked out our apartment. Didn't even know what it was until it showed up. It was a dump. <laughs> well, we stayed there until we could get out, and then we got out. But... And I wanted to be around people in a community that could help us, but the thing they did the most for us is they encouraged us and they literally demanded that we get out of the Word, get in the Word and get out for ourselves, study it out for ourselves, and get our faith for ourselves. Too many fall prey to false teaching and false doctrine because they just simply accept, this is what my family taught. This is what Pastor so-and-so said. And they refused to be convinced. Refused to check it out. And that's why we call everybody, get in a Bible study and check it out. The basics. But you've got to go into it saying, I, I want to be convinced. Show me. I appreciate what Larry said something in class this morning about he had a position he'd held for 30-something years. And now he's changed. He did admit it was hard. <laughs> but he read, he studied it out. Because you know what? I've changed the way I look at this. And not just that, but we've got to now continue that in our lives. Or else we'll slip into just culture and habit. You've got to continue to study it. And study it deeply. Guys, I, I know a lot of Bible. And that's a blessing and a curse. It's a curse because you know all the right. Then you think, I don't need to study it anymore. I don't need to read it anymore. Yeah, I know what's in there. Yeah, I got this. I can coast. But I realize the more and more I study the Bible, the deeper and, and, and deeper I get, the more I don't know. And the more I really see it myself, and I'm talking about real Bible study, not that sugar-coated stuff you read. What I'm talking about is stuff when you go to Walmart and go to the spiritual section of the that's the sugar-coated stuff. Not being judgmental, that's just the way it is. <laughs> now I'm talking about really getting into the Word and studying it out. See, that's how it keeps us convinced by the Scriptures. Not convinced by, I've been doing this for 30 years, it must be, it better be right, I hope it's right. I cannot even conceive the fact that it's not right, therefore I, it's right. You see how we get into that? Okay? I need to get it. I want to be convinced by the Holy Scripture. The passage we started with, 2 Corinthians 1.12. I know whom I have believed. I know. Do you really? I want us to think about it. And if you try this exercise, and if you're too embarrassed to do it here, do it later. Because you just close your eyes and, and imagine and think, there really is a God. I mean, he's right now, I mean, however you picture him sitting on the throne, 
He's really, really there. He really is a Jesus. He's really, really sitting at God's right hand. Imagine that. There really is a heaven, a place, an actual place. See it in your mind's eye. It's really, really there. There's really, really, really going to be a judgment day. Again, you see it in your mind's eye. However you think, there's a long line of you know, endless people waiting to get judged or however you see it. But I know whom I have believed. It's real. It's, it's not just this fantasy. It's not just this thing that I use to help keep me on a moral straight and narrow. He's really, really there. And I am convinced. I know whom I have believed and I am convinced. You see, I have allowed myself to be convinced. I'm open to change if I'm convinced by the word. I'm open to seeing it differently if I'm shown in the word of God. I've studied it out in the Holy Scriptures. I've applied myself to it. And I continue to do this. I am convinced. And when I do doubt, when, when my mind, when, when, when things happen, the pressures and the peer pressures, my mind, my logic, my knowledge keeps me sane. Why? Because I'm convinced. I know too much to do that. I'm convinced that He is able to guard what I have entrusted to Him Until that day, I trust this real God. I trust this real Jesus. I trust in my salvation in Him. No matter what life throws at me, no matter what my circumstances, He will guard my salvation. My finances may be in the toilet. My education may be going out the window. My job may be in jeopardy. My health may be declining. But He will guard my salvation. That they cannot take away. Nothing can separate me from Him. Nothing can tear me away from Him. He will not desert me or abandon me. Now I can walk away, but I won't do that. Why? Because I know too much. I'm convinced. And to keep me there, I gather around me like-minded people. I keep them all over because I know me. I'm a high threshold guy. I keep myself surrounded and supported by other people who are convinced too. And I feed my convictions. I feed them whenever, wherever, however I can. I fan my convictions into flame. I fan into flame that self-discipline with the Spirit of my God. I fan into flame what I have become convinced of. Amen. Amen.